text today is going to be Philippians chapter 4. So we continue to anticipate the Lord's coming, that He has come and He will come again. Last week we looked at how Advent provides a time for us to turn our waiting actively into hope. And here this morning looking at how this time of year gives us a great opportunity to turn our anxiety into peace. Let's pray for God's blessing on His Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before You, and we do pray for Your blessing upon Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would open up the truth of Scripture, the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ, that we would not run from the truth, but that we would turn to it and experience the freedom, that we would know Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, and that we would know Him deeply, intimately, profoundly, and even incomprehensibly. Lord, would you do that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Christmas anxiety and the Prince of Peace. It is Christmas time, right? This is the time when the angels declare to the shepherds, peace on earth. The time that we celebrate and look forward to the prophecy of Isaiah that says, one will come who is the the, uh, counselor, the one who is the prince of peace, the king of kings, lord of lords, and the prince of peace. Yet, for many, many people, maybe for you, Christmas is anything but a time of peace. In fact, maybe I've seen several recently, I'm not sure if you have, but I've come across several medical bulletins. These are the things that, you know, your health insurance company passes out or your employer passes out, entitled, How to Deal with Christmas Anxiety. And in fact, I was on a major medical website this past week, and they had an entire section, not just an article, a section of their website devoted to the issue of Christmas anxiety. So the topics were how to deal with your diabetes, how to deal with your hypertension, how to deal with Christmas anxiety, how to deal with irritable bowel syndrome. I mean, it was grouped... It was grouped in the same major heading as all of these other things, not just as an article, but as a major area of life. And so WebMD identified several reasons why Christmas anxiety particularly occurs. Some of them are these. One is is that there's the issue of that you have a difficult past, and Christmas is a reminder of unhappy memories. Another source of anxiety is toxic relationships, that you get put together with people that you spend most of the year trying to avoid. And at Christmas time, you get to all be together. For some, it's the anxiety of what's changed. That Christmas is a reminder that there's been a divorce or a death in the family or a change in your family dynamics that you're, uh, as, as a college student, returns home. For others, the stress of Christmas comes from not what has changed, but what has stayed the same. You're bracing yourself for the same faces, the same stories, the same food, and the monotony of joining together in the same shallow conversations. And for some, the concern about what has stayed the same is that you are apprehensive about going to a place where it seems that life for everyone else has advanced, but it has not for you, and maybe it has even regressed. And so you get together with family, and you, know, you get the benefit of the unsolicited family therapy sessions where they begin to, your family tries to help you deal with what's wrong with you in your life. And you compile these things with the other pressures that come a long time at Christmas of finding a gift that the person won't love, not that they will love it, but a gift that at least they won't hate it. And then you're having to deal with the pressure of spending money that maybe you don't have, 
needing to find a gift for someone that you weren't planning on finding a gift for and it's beyond your budget, leaving your comfort zone and safe place. And in the midst of all this is the constant pressure that you are in the midst of the most wonderful, most peace-filled, most enjoyable time of the year. Merry Christmas, right? And so last week as we looked at how do we turn our waiting and frustration waiting into hope, this week we're looking at how Scripture frees us to turn our anxiety into peace. Paul gives us instructions to this in the letter of Philippians where he writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Well, as we dive into this passage, Paul gives very practical instructions for how to deal with anxiety. It's important for us to understand what anxiety is and what it's not. Because of how we identify the core of anxiety will affect the way that we try to deal with it. And misdiagnosing the cause of anxiety dooms you to the shackles of anxiety and dooms you to, barely, to simply just dealing with it. So let's be clear what the Bible's teaching is about the issue of anxiety and worry. Is that anxiety and worry is not an affliction. It's not an affliction that comes upon you. It is not a disease, though people may certainly have physiological predispositions towards anxiety. So then what is it? Well, we get a little bit of insight when Paul gives the command to say, do not be anxious about anything. He's expecting that people will be able to respond to this. And if anxiety were an affliction... If anxiety were a disease, if anxiety anxiety was something that was completely outside of your realm, Paul's command would be a bit cruel. It would be a bit like, it would be cruel and it wouldn't really make any sense to us. It would be like Paul would be saying, do not be anxious, okay? Do not get hungry. Do not be tired. Do not have cancer. Do not do these things that you have no control over. But in giving this command... Paul expects us to respond. He expects us to obey him, to actually not be anxious. Not only Paul, but Jesus' teaching as well and other teachings throughout Scripture that repeat the same thing. There is an expectation that we would respond to it just as we're called to respond to the other commands such as do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, or commands that deal with our heart, do not covet, do not lust. Here he says, do not be anxious. So here is really good news for you, is that anxiety and worry at its root is a hard issue. 
here is really good news for you. Anxiety and worry at its heart is a sin. That is such great news. It is such great news because Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Because Jesus Christ, through his victory over the grave, broke the power of sin in your life. For freedom, Christ has set you free. What this means, this is not harsh, but what this truth means about anxiety being a sin is what this means is you don't have to worry. That there is a pathway for freedom for you. That that anxiety in your life is not like some sort of affliction that you just simply have to manage like a bad case of gout. You know, something that just never really goes away. You just kind of have to clean it and treat it and deal with it, but it's kind of always there. You're going to have to deal with it the rest of of your life. No, Scripture is giving a different picture. But we don't regard anxiety as sin, do we? We don't regard it as sin. Even in our characterizations of socially acceptable sins, things that, you know, we'll talk to other people about, Anxiety doesn't fall into that category. So if someone says, just consider how you respond. If someone says, you know what, I'm, I'm just so anxious. I've got, I've got so much anxiety. We usually say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I feel for you. you know, wow, that, that must be really tough that you're afflicted in this way. It's kind of the response. Now, imagine that with other socially acceptable sins. We say like, oh, you know what, I've just been, I've just been really wrestling. I've just been gossiping so much lately. I just... I just can't stop telling people other things that I shouldn't tell people. Or I, I've, I've, I've been lying a lot. I just keep expanding the story. I, just, I, just, I, extend, I extend the details. I exaggerate a bit. I just, I just, can't, I just keep doing that. Or we say, you know what, I, I, just, I just abuse food. I just periodically want to just down like a bag of Doritos or a bag of Oreos, and it, it just kind of happens a bit too often. Or even my anger. You know, I've been dealing with anger. I've been really angry lately. We would, in those interactions, if you were having those conversations with a friend, you would say, you would say to them, okay, yes, we understand why you're doing that, but there would be a mutual acknowledgement that it was wrong to do so. However, when it comes to the issue of anxiety, the response is, oh, I'm sorry that you're afflicted with that. We don't acknowledge it. We don't acknowledge it. We don't acknowledge and expect there to be an obedience to the word of God as Scripture calls us to. Do not be anxious. Well, why then, to help us understand this, why is anxiety a sin? Why is it an issue of the heart? It is because there is always an object of your anxiety. There is always a reason why you are anxious. And actually, your actual anxiety, the emotion of that, is just a response to what's going on inside your heart. The actual emotion is, in and of itself is rather neutral. Rather, what that emotion does of anxiety is it should serve as a warning light, as a warning flag to say, wait a second, there is something else going on. And when you're experiencing anxiety, you need to ask yourself the question, why am I anxious? Why am I responding this way? Why am I getting so worked up? Why is I having panic? Why is my blood pressure about to spike? Now, it's very easy to answer the question by pointing backwards to what you're worrying about. Well, if you had to have Christmas dinner with my in-laws, you would be anxious too. But that doesn't resolve it. Because why is anxiety the response to that? Why not joyful prayer? Why not contentment? Why not excitement? Why not many other things? Why is anxiety the response to it? 
So we have to dive into that a little bit deeper. David Pallison, a wonderful, gracious biblical scholar, counselor, biblical counselor, says this, Worriers act as if they might be able to control the uncontrollable. That's something central to the problem of worry. It's the illusion that we can control things. If only I wouldn't have to talk to that family member, I wouldn't feel so put down. If only when I go and see my mother at Christmas time, my mother wouldn't make comments about my weight or my hairstyle. If only she would accept me for who I am, then we could have an enjoyable Christmas together. If only I could get my diet and medication right, then if I live a healthy lifestyle, I won't have the health problems that my parents or other family members that I had. If only I could figure out the right child-rearing techniques and the right book on whether or not a child should sleep or not or how to parent or raise a child, all those different things. If only I could figure that out, then I can guarantee that my life will be peaceful, my children will be well-behaved, and they'll turn out to be great kids. If only I could do those things. Worriers assume, he continues, the possibility of control over the uncontrollable. The illusion of control lurks inside your anxiety. Anxiety and control are two sides of one coin. We want to control something, and since we can't control it, we worry about it. Here's a picture of the way this works out in our life. is that there are things in your life that are your God-given responsibility. Things that God has commanded you and entrusted you to do that you have the capacity and the ability to do. Everything else falls in the realm of God's responsibility. That would include things like God's promises that he promises to be a God to us and to our children, that God is the sovereign Lord over all, that God is the one who has all the days of our lives numbered and laid out, that there is nothing in heaven and earth that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, that God is our provider. He is the one who sustains us and upholds us. He is the one who protects us. He is the one who cares for us. He is the one who clothes us more beautifully than the lilies of the field. He is the one that does all these things. God's responsible for his promises and the fulfillment of those promises. He's also responsible for the work of the Holy Spirit. What's going to happen is that he's the one that's responsible for the Holy Spirit to work in another person's life. He's the one that's responsible to change their heart. He's the one that's responsible to order the, the events in the course of this world. It's God's responsibility how other people act, not yours. That you can't control that. You can barely control how yourself act, let alone somebody else, right? How other people act. And then there's also God's responsibility to deal with the what-ifs. What if we really are driving across the Solomon's Bridge and that 18-wheeler really is over the double yellow line and it really does hit us and we bounce up onto the guardrail? What if we get together and my mother asks those awkward questions that I don't want her to ask? What if I lose my job? What if all these situations? What if I don't get the diagnosis I want? What if I can't get into the health treatment? What if all these different things? That's all God's responsibility. Now, what happens is that our tendency is to expand our responsibility into the area of God's responsibility. And we expand it and assume responsibility over things that are only God's control and over God's responsibility and only thing that God can bring the results for. And the experience of assuming God's responsibility we call anxiety. And that's the experience of that boundary being extended further. Paul Miller, in his wonderful book on prayer, deals with anxiety. He says, instead of connecting with God, our spirits fly around like severed power lines, destroying everything they touch. 
Anxiety wants to be God, but lacks God's wisdom, God's power, and God's knowledge. A godlike stance without godlike character and ability is pure tension. Wants to be God, but lacks God's wisdom, power, and God's knowledge. So, knowing all these things, Paul gives this command. Do not be anxious about anything. It's rather heartwarming, is it not? I mean, I feel like I might need to embroider that on a pillow and stick it on my couch or, you know, frame, put it in a picture frame on the house. Put it in the men's bathroom on the wall over there, um, which is in there. Ladies, didn't know if you knew that. Um, <laughs> do not be anxious about anything, is what Paul's command is. We say, oh, that's such a nice thing, but, but really? But let's remember who it is that's giving this command. At the moment of writing this statement, the Apostle Paul is currently in prison. He is currently facing death. He is currently chained to a Roman guard. He cannot uh, earn his own sustenance or provisions. The Roman guard would not have been providing any food or provisions for him. So anything that he needed to live would have to be provided by people outside of the prison who had some sort of sympathy and would bring him food, bread, clothing, or medication if he needs it. And Paul is writing to a church that has a lot more to worry about than us. Hunger is a real issue. Poverty is a real issue. Persecution for being a Christian is a real issue. And there have been Christians in Philippi who have been uh, abused and tortured for their faith. Ostracism from friends, family members is a real issue. Not only that, but there is the threat of false prophets, people who seem like really good, godly, upright people who were leading people astray. And in the midst of all of that, they had to deal with their own health issues, their own job situation. They had to deal with a Roman political agenda that was constantly trying to oppress and keep the Jews down. They didn't have health care. They didn't have answers to many of the things that we have answers to today. In the midst of all of that stress, Paul says to them, do not be anxious about anything. How could he say that? Because there is freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. There is the Prince of Peace, and his name is Jesus. Now, anytime there is something negative in our life, something negative you want to deal with, you can't ever deal with it by focusing on what's wrong. You have to focus on a positive, you have to focus on something positive. So if you're saying, if you're dealing with worry or anxiety, you can't deal with worry just by saying to yourself, stop worrying, stop being anxious, stop worrying, stop worrying. I'm just going to really focus on stop worrying. All that's going to do is make you worry more. What you need to do is you need to replace that with something positive. And Paul gives three things that we are to replace it with in this order. Right thinking, I'm sorry, right praying, right thinking, and right acting. Paul gives this specific command. Do not be anxious about anything, but... If you don't be anxious, that's the negative. Here's what you're supposed to do. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Paul is saying, what do you do with your anxiety? You turn that anxiety into a prayer before the Lord. It's that you go to him with prayer. And he gives instructions for how we're to pray. 
is that you're not simply praying, saying, oh God, help me not to worry, oh God, help me not to worry, oh God, help my mother-in-law not to make rude, and rude comments to me and to my children this time, oh God, help my father-in-law to be nice to me, help my dad to actually approve me, oh God, help me not to worry, help me not to worry, help me not to worry. That will probably generate more worry. Here's how Paul instructs us to pray. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, and here's the key phrase, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why with thanksgiving? Because if you are bringing your anxieties to God with thanksgiving, what that forces you to do is it forces you to remember who God is and what God has done. That you would remember that God is the one who is, who is, who is the one who is overall. That when you are praying with thanksgiving, you would recall that I am praying to my heavenly Father. And because He is my Father... He loves me, and he always does right, and he is concerned for me, and he will always act in a way that is for my good and for his glory, and because he is my heavenly Father, not only is he perfectly loving and compassionate, but he is in heaven. He is the sovereign one over all. He is the one who controls all things. There is nothing that he cannot do. This is who I'm praying to, my heavenly Father, and then to offer it with thanksgiving. That is to remember what Christ has done. Remember what God has done. That he who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all, will he not graciously give you all things as well? That God, to remember that God is your provider, that he is your protector, that he is your sustainer. And to remember what God has specifically done in our own lives. How do you pray an anxious prayer with thanksgiving? Well, for example... If, you're deal- if you are nervous about traveling and driving across bridges or things like that, how do you pray? You don't simply pray, dear God, help me not to be anxious, help me not to be anxious. But you say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have protected me. Thank you that every time, almost every time I've gotten in the car, nothing has gone wrong. Thank you that I have driven across the Solomon's Bridge a hundred times and I have not died. Thank you that you have protected me each and every time. Thank you that you have preserved me from the crazy drivers who can periodically cross that bridge. Thank you that you have upheld my whole family and get us there safely. Thank you that you have done this again and again and again and again. And so, Father, I thank you for these things, and I ask that you would do what you have done so many times in my life, and you would do it this time as well. That's an anxious prayer with thanksgiving. Or if you're praying over an illness that you're particularly anxious over, something more serious. And maybe you've got a terminal illness. How does that, and you're concerned about that. You turn that anxiety into prayer before God. And you say, Heavenly Father, I'm concerned I'm going to die. The news isn't good. But I am thankful that you are God and I am not. I am thankful that you hold all of the days of my life in the palm of your hand. I thank you that there is not a hair that can fall from my head apart from your will. I thank you that you promise to uphold and strengthen me. I thank you that there is a day coming when there will be perfect healing, if not in this life, in the life to come. I thank you that you are good and loving and gracious and you promise to be with me. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I do not walk alone for you are with me. And I thank you, Lord. And so you turn... You have those anxious prayers, but you pray, you make your requests known with thanksgiving, 
particularly thanking God for how he has answered that in your own life and the lives of other people. That you use your anxiety as a red light, as a warning flag, as a springboard to God. That instead of trying to deal with anxiety as some sort of affliction, trying to manage it by, you know, playing on your phone to ignore different things, eating a whole bunch of food, doing different, whatever ways that you try to manage it, you turn your anxiety in prayer towards God. You pray to Him. Indeed, Paul Miller states it this way, anxiety simply is just an unused prayer. And he continues. He says, here's what happens when you turn that anxiety into prayer with thanksgiving. When you stop trying to control your life and instead allow your anxieties and problems to bring you to God in prayer, you shift from worry to watching. You watch God weave his patterns in the story of your life. Instead of trying to be out in front designing your life, you realize that you are inside of God's drama. And as you wait, you begin to see him work, and your life begins to sparkle with wonder. Lord, watch over us. Thank you that you watch over us. Open my eyes to see how you, Lord, watch over us. Do not be anxious, but replace it with right praying. Secondly, do not be anxious, but the next thing after praying is right thinking. Paul says this in verse 8, indirect response to the issue of anxiety. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, this might have some implications for what you watch on TV and read on the internet. If there is anything, if there is any excellence, If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Control the one thing in your life that you actually have the ability to control what you are thinking about. Indeed, one of the Puritans, John Owen, who gives these great, and the Puritans had such remarkable insights into the state of the human soul. He writes this, he says, At the thought level, lies must be replaced by meditation on the truth. This is a procedure that both comforts and confronts. What happens is that the lies that you've been believing, the anxiety that you're experiencing in your life because you are afraid or fearful of something, those things need to be replaced with meditations on the truth. We need to train our thoughts to not let our mind run away with things. How do you do that? One, you turn your anxiety into prayer. And two, you think rightly. You determine your thoughts. You deliberately focus your thoughts not on what could go wrong, what might go wrong. You don't dwell on the stress and the play-by-play. Well, if I say this, then she's going to say this, and then if she says this, then I'm going to do this. You don't dwell on the play-by-play of the situation. But you need to retrain your thoughts, and it's hard. It's a bit like, let's say that you're engaged in a sport where you have a repetitive activity. And that repetitive activity, you've been doing it slightly wrong, and all of a sudden you have an injury. And you've got an injury, and you're like, well, this is the way that I always run. And your physical therapist says to you, well, the way that you always run is the reason why you have this pain in your life. And he says, you can still run, but you need to change the way that you run. To change a repetitive injury or a repetitive activity, it's going to feel awkward. It will be difficult. It won't be comfortable. You will revert back to the old thing. 
And it's similar like that with you're one that for whom your mind runs away for you. What Paul calls you to do is to train your thinking and to think about what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable. In this situation, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, if there is anything for you to praise your extended family members who are about to bring so much stress into your life, if there is anything in the situation that is beneficial and positive, if there is anything true about the way that the Holy Spirit is present with you in the midst of these struggles, if there is any of these things going on, Paul says, that's what you focus your mind on. Think about these things. The word here for think means it's progressive tense to use to do so continually. That is, you ponder on them without ceasing. That you deliberately fill your mind with something other than the cares of this life. For if you think much on your anxieties, your life will reflect much anxiety. And if you think much on Jesus Christ, your life will reflect much of Jesus Christ. That what you think drives your life. And if your mind is filled with anxieties and you let that happen, your life will be driven by them. But what Paul is saying, no, pray rightly and think rightly. Know God's word. If there are specific things that you are anxious about and reasons for your anxiety, find a Bible verse or two or three and memorize them. So that when you're dealing with that anxiety, that's what you go to. You force yourself to repeat that Bible verse in your mind. If you have trouble finding those things, your community group leaders, journey group leaders, elders, staff, any of us would love to help you give some verses so that you can train your thoughts to think rightly. Don't be anxious, but pray rightly, act right, I'm sorry, pray rightly, think rightly, and thirdly, act rightly. This is still in Paul's instructions on how to deal with anxiety. What you have learned and received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things. Paul acknowledges that actions, what we do, flow from what we believe. Our emotions flow from what we believe to be true. And Paul is seeing what is needed is right praying, right thinking, that in turn leads to right acting. So he gives himself as a, as a he has personal instructions, and he uses himself as a personal example. Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, Brothers, imitate me as you have seen in me. As you have seen these beliefs turn out in my life and to be practiced. As you have seen me, imitate me in the face of stress, in the face of opposition, in the face of uncertainty. As you have seen me do this, practice truth. Practice honor. Practice justice, practice purity, practice loveliness, practice giving praise, practice all of these things because our faith gets worked out in our lives. That if you claim to believe these things to be true, it demonstrates that you haven't really learned them until those beliefs are being manifested in the way that you are acting. So Paul gives very specific instruction. Don't be anxious, but pray, think, and act Rightly. And here is what comes out of that. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. That the God of peace and the peace of God 
these two things go together. They cannot be separated. If you get one, you get the other. And then in verse 7, he says, you do these things, right praying, right thinking, right acting, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard, the peace of God will guard there, meaning Paul as he's chained to a Roman prisoner, which he currently is. He knows what it is to be guarded. That the peace of God will guard you, protect you. The peace of God, you could also translate it, will garrison you. It will guard your heart and your mind. It will guard your emotions. What is one of the greatest anxieties of going together with family members in difficult relationships is that my heart is going to get hurt. Is that someone is going to hit me where it hurts. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. That is, it will guard your thinking. What you're thinking about. How you're responding. That when someone throws their hook in you, that you don't return a dagger. Will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. That instead of anxiety and stress, you will have a peace that protects you, defends you, and shelters you. Paul describes it as having a peace which surpasses all understanding. What does that mean? It means that other people will look at you and say, I know your mother-in-law. I know the situation that you're in, and it is incomprehensible to me that you could have so much peace in your life for the situation that you're dealing with. I know the medical diagnosis that you have. How on earth could you possibly be filled with so much peace? It is incomprehensible. It doesn't make any sense. And Paul is saying, no, if you... Pray rightly, act rightly, pray rightly, think rightly, act rightly. What happens is that the peace of God, to a degree that is incomprehensible, to a degree that other people cannot understand, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So what happens then is that the difference between our responsibility and God's responsibility and the anxiety that we want to expand to is that that anxiety gets replaced with peace. An incomprehensible peace. A peace that is beyond understanding. A peace like this picture that guards your hearts and your mind in Jesus Christ. So this Christmas, when your anxiety feels, when Christmas feels more like anxiety than peace, Scripture calls you to turn your anxieties into prayers. And that those prayers would lead you to think rightly. And that in thinking rightly, that would lead you to acting rightly. And so may this Christmas, may the God of peace guard your heart and mind. And may you know the Prince of Peace in a new and profound and incomprehensible way this Christmas. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are not left to be tortured. Lord, thank you that we are not left to be afflicted, but for freedom Christ has set us free. Father, there are many, if not most, in our world for whom it is incomprehensible that there would be a peace that surpasses excruciating 
situations. But you offer that and give that through Jesus Christ. Lord, may we experience that in a new, profound, and incomprehensible way this Christmas. Lord, would your spirit work in us so that we would pray rightly and act rightly and think rightly. Lord, that we would do so so that you would be honored and glorified. So that this Christmas, when people look at all of the stress that some of us are going through, that other people will look at them and say, how on earth? I don't understand. How on earth can you have peace in the midst of what's going on? And we would be able to respond by saying, it's because I know Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Lord, would you do that in our hearts, in our lives, in our families this Christmas? Turn our waiting into hope and our anxiety into peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.